From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. New figures show that the Morrison government stacked boards and tribunals at a level unprecedented in Australian politics. These appointees were sometimes unqualified and incompetent. The appointments particularly affected the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, where members can be paid up to $500,000 a year. Now, it's clear that they've badly altered decision-making processes. Today, national correspondent for the Saturday paper, Mike Seckham, on how key bodies have been politicised beyond recognition and what to do next. It's Tuesday, July 26. Mike, the AAT, which is the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, it's really a place of last resort, isn't it? If you're someone who's interacting with a, a government agency and you, you don't agree with the decision that's being made, that's where you go, the AAT, to make your final appeal. But what do we know about what happens when, when a person actually gets there? How is a decision ultimately made about their future? Well, well, that's that's right. That's where you go if you have a dispute with you know government agencies in a wide range of areas. The AAT covers everything from tax disputes to family assistance and social security to the NDIS to freedom of information requests to workers' compensation. You name it. You know, it's supposed to be the place that can identify unfair decisions and hold government agencies accountable, even in some cases ministers of government accountable. The, the reality, though, is that it's becoming increasingly apparent that there are great inconsistencies in the determinations made by members of the AAT. To illustrate the point, and the data on which this depends, I guess, a group of academics from Macquarie University managed to get under FOI the records of all 18,000-plus decisions made by the AAT in relation to asylum seekers over more than five years from 2015 to 2020. And what that data shows is just extraordinary. If, for example, you're an Iranian seeking protection because you have a, a fear that you could be killed, you know, um, if you're sent back to Iran, well, if you're a lucky one and you come before the, the right member of the AAT, you have a 93% chance of success, which is pretty good. If you're an unlucky one and come before the wrong member of the AAT, you have a zero chance. Frankly, the data makes it quite obvious that these inconsistencies are not explained by the merits of particular cases. They're explained by the merits of the people making the decisions. That's because the appointments have become increasingly political. So we see increasingly appointed to the AAT ex-political candidates, former politicians who've lost their seats, a lot of political staffers, a lot of other people directly connected with government. And over recent times, of course, almost exclusively connected with the conservative side of government. And this is disturbing. And it's disturbed some members of the tribunal, I might add. I, I spoke to one, Jennifer Strathern, who was a former AAT member based in South Australia. And she was so distressed by the increasing politicisation of appointments that she quit. I'd still be there if I could be, have confidence that it would be an organisation um, based on accountability, integrity and the rule of law. And I have no confidence at all about that. She saw Michaelia Cash just a few days before the last election appoint a whole swag, more people with political backgrounds 
to, to the tribunal. Then Attorney General Michaela Coach just appointed another batch. And look, it was just a straw that broke the camel's back. And within a couple of days, she sent off a note to the Governor-General saying, I'm resigning from my job. I thought, Jenny, this organisation is not worthy of your services anymore. Mm. And can you tell me a bit more about what she, she said to you about what she'd seen at the tribunal? So what Strathern told me was that she perceives a lot of these political appointees to be insufficiently qualified, to have obvious conflicts of interest, to have not performed up to required standards, resulting in huge backlogs of AAT reviews due to incompetence or lack of motivation. And she describes it as blatant cronyism. And the ones who are um, appointed um, as political appointments, and have been, um, I don't feel confident that they would actually observe the rule of law to the required degree. You know, and she says that you can't help but draw the conclusion that a lot of these political appointees see it as incumbent upon them to do the government's bidding. When you are employed by someone and you just don't have to undergo any uh, merit-based selection process, there's a bit of an obligation to sort of play the game, isn't there? And when she talks about this cohort of people, it's a pretty large cohort. The Grattan Institute just this week released a report which looked into the numbers at the AAT and found that of, of 320 members, 70 had direct political affiliation. Mm. Okay, so it seems pretty clear, Mike, that many of these appointments, that they aren't based on, on merit necessarily. It's more of a, a who-you-know kind of situation. And this report it found that, that somewhere between a quarter and a fifth of people on the AAT, on the, on the tribunal, which is not supposed to be political, at all actually did have political affiliations. Well, that's that's what they found, yes. Um, Some other counts put the number higher. It really depends on who you count as a political appointment. I mean, the Grattan report uh, had quite a narrow definition. It said an appointment was political only if the person had previously worked as a politician or as a candidate or a political advisor or an employee of a political party. So they didn't include members of political parties, they didn't include political donors, they didn't include prominent supporters or union officials or friends or relatives of those engaged or people engaged in what they termed other forms of political activity. And nor did they count appointees that they identified as having appeared to be chosen for their loyalty to what they called a particular political ideological position. So, you know, their count is probably a significant underestimate and their report conceded as much. And furthermore, it's, it's not just the AAT that's being stacked in this way. It's all sorts of other government tribunals, boards, commissions, you know, regulatory agencies as well. We'll be back in a moment. Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. 
For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Mike, we've been speaking about appointments at the AAT and how they're becoming increasingly politicised, but you're saying that it's it's not only the AAT, this isn't the only place where this kind of thing happens. So could you tell me a bit more about other kinds of, of political appointments we're seeing and I suppose the, the effect that this is having? Well, Ruby, it, it's rampant. Grattan found that about 22% of board appointments to government business enterprises, you know, such as the Defence Housing Authority, the Rail Track Corporation, Snowy Hydro and others, were political. And 93% of those political appointees were aligned to the Liberal National Parties. In the, in the case of Australia Post, half the board um, were political appointees. It was the same with regulatory agencies. A lot of them had uh, up to 50% political appointees. Now, we should probably say all governments, you know, state and federal, Labor and coalition, have made political appointments and continue to do so. But no one's ever done it on the scale of the last coalition government. So there's a number of consequences of this. You know, for a start, a lot of these appointees aren't very good at their jobs and they underachieve. And and bear in mind, these people are very well paid in their jobs. Tribunal members are paid from about 200,000 to almost 500,000 for making these decisions. So, you know, we've got a lot of people here who are doing very well on the basis of political patronage. You know, as the old saying goes, I guess, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And so what happens now? What can the government do to address these issues? Well, um, one very radical suggestion that came out of the Legal and Constitutional Committee, which was um, looking into the AAT, and in its recent report, the majority of the committee proposed a, a very dramatic solution. It suggested, it suggested, and, I, and I'll read the relevant recommendation, quote, the committee recommends that the Attorney General disassemble the current Administrative Appeals Tribunal and re-establish a new federal administrative review system by no later than the 1st of July 2023. Right. Okay. So they're suggesting that the, the tribunal should be completely disbanded. That, that's right. Blow the whole thing up and start over. And so does that seem likely? Is the new government considering anything as radical as that to deal with what are obviously pretty significant issues with the tribunal? Well, well uh, I got in touch with um, Mark Dreyfus's office and they sent me a response and it had obvious political elements to it. You know, it said that the AAT had become increasingly a, quote, Liberal Party employment agency, which I guess on, on the evidence is, is really, you know, pretty substantiated. We want to return to a, a transparent and merit-based appointment system for those courts and for the Administrative Appeals Tribunal. Part of that will be calling for expressions of interest. It also referred to the huge backlog of cases that has resulted in people waiting months or, you know, in some cases years to have their cases heard and adjudicated. People who are seeking review of all manner of government decision-making, they deserve to know that the very best people have been selected to sit on those merit-based review processes. And uh, at the moment, you cannot have that confidence in the Administrative Appeals Tribunal. And then it said, and I'm quoting, I am now carefully considering how I can undo the damage of the last nine years and ensure the AAT 
once again serves the interests of all Australians. Which sounds noble, but is really a less than definitive answer. I'm engaged right now in a very serious review of the way in which the Administrative Appeals Tribunal is serving Australians, whether or not there are sufficient members, the settings for decision-making, the reasons why there are such big backlogs in particular areas of the Mike, when you think about the people who are actually coming before this tribunal, who are really having to roll the dice on who it is that they get to judge their case, and in some instances, the stakes are really high. It's a decision about whether or not a person can stay in the country. It's sort of extraordinary that a a political appointment with no qualifications could make that decision. Well, well, absolutely. Uh, I mean, as you said, the AAT makes decisions that can potentially affect almost anyone in Australia who thinks they've been the, the victim of a bad bureaucratic decision. I focused on asylum seeker applications for a couple of reasons. One, of course, is that probably more than anything else that comes before the AAT, these can literally be life and death matters. You know, imagine being an Iranian refugee in fear of your life if you're sent back to Iran, and knowing that just because you had the misfortune to come before a particular member of the tribunal, you had zero chance of success, you know, based on the historical record. That, I think, should should concern us all, you know, regardless of what we think about refugees or anything else. It shows that once you start down the slippery slope of political appointments and, and ideological appointments, things can get very, very, very ugly. Mike, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Sydney Dance Company explodes on stage with Memento. This world premiere by acclaimed choreographer Raphael Bonicella is unmissable contemporary dance. Strictly limited season from the 28th of May to the 8th of June. Book now at sydneydancecompany.com. Also in the news today, opposition leader Peter Dutton has called for Australia to close its borders to Indonesia to prevent a foot-and-mouth outbreak from devastating Australia's agricultural sector. The highly infectious livestock virus has not been detected in Australia for more than 100 years. And the Aged Care and Community Care Providers Association has said that 6,000 residents and 3,400 staff are currently infected with COVID. The association has called for urgent action to protect residents and staff during this COVID wave amidst fears that up to two-thirds of aged care homes could be affected by outbreaks over coming weeks. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.